Good morning, it's April 3rd, and this is To My Liberal Friends. Well, the Trump legal saga begins in earnest this week. Donald Trump will surrender to authorities on Tuesday, and he will be formally charged and arraigned. He will then be released on his own recognizance, and he will immediately fly back to Florida. A trial date will be set, and the process will begin. Now, as I've said many times on this podcast, I'm not a big fan of Donald Trump. I've also made it plain that I think these charges being brought by the Manhattan District Attorney are based entirely on politics and not on the legal aspects of the case. If we were to review the legal problems surrounding the former president, I think we can say there are four cases out there swirling in the wind. And let's look at them individually and judge the merits of them as far as getting a conviction for any alleged crime. The first one I'm going to address is the case in Georgia. Here, the former president is accused of trying to influence the outcome of the 2020 election by calling the Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, and demanding that he overturn the election results in Georgia and award the electoral votes to him. But if you listen to the actual recording of the call, what you hear Donald Trump asking is for Raffensperger to find 13,000 votes. Trump states that's all he needs is 13,000 votes. At no time did he ask him to manufacture 13 votes. What he was asking was to do a thorough recount and look for any votes that might have been awarded to Trump that may have been omitted. The legal system in Atlanta has access to the phone call and have heard it just as I have. You may think they can infer from these comments that Donald Trump was asking the Secretary of State to create these votes, but that would be just an opinion, and it's not based on any fact. Then we can move to the possible charges that could be filed against Donald Trump for what occurred on January 6, 2021. In my opinion, Donald Trump shares some of the complicity for what occurred in the Capitol on that day. He urged his supporters to come to Washington, D.C. with every intent to find a way to stop the counting of electoral votes by the Congress. At the rally on the Mall, where the former president spoke, he urged his supporters to go to the Capitol, and his exact words were, quote, protest peacefully, end quote. Now, I think everyone knows what actually occurred was his most avid supporters took the law into their own hands and laid siege to the Capitol, entering the building illegally. Those that did so are being identified and prosecuted, as they should be. And that's the way the justice system should work. As an aside, I keep waiting for the legal system to start prosecuting the Antifa protesters who destroyed even more property in federal buildings in cities around the country. But that would not fit with the political narrative of the Biden administration. But if you listen to the exact words of Donald Trump, it will be difficult once again to get a conviction based on what you think he is intending to say versus what he actually said. The third possibility of charging Donald Trump with a crime is in the classified documents case where he had classified documents at his residence in Florida. Here the evidence is front and center for all to see. He clearly had the documents and had been notified by the National Archives as well as the Justice Department that they wanted these documents returned. For whatever reason, Trump and his staff seemed to resist that effort. He made flimsy excuses that as the president, he had the ability to declassify documents simply by thinking it. Now, I hate to break it to Donald Trump, but there's, no, there's a process for declassifying documents, and him simply thinking of it is not the process that's required. But the problem with bringing this case is then you would have to bring a similar case against the current president, Joe Biden, and the former vice president, Mike Pence, and maybe a whole lot of other people we haven't found yet, and now you're moving down a very slippery road. Attorneys defending the former president in this case have more and more evidence to go back to muddy the waters. Their first question would be, when is Joe Biden going to be charged? 
When is Mike Pence going to be charged? And why wasn't Hillary Clinton charged when she was found to have classified documents on a private server in her home? So finally, we come back to the case being brought by Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg. As I've said before, most legal scholars believe this to be the weakest of any charges against Donald Trump and seems to be based entirely on politics. Mr. Bragg is trying to bootstrap what is normally a misdemeanor into a Class C felony. Everyone knows that the Federal Election Commission and the Justice Department looked at these charges and decided there was not sufficient proof to proceed with a criminal case. The real question, as, I, as I've raised before, is can Donald Trump get a fair trial in Manhattan? The voting districts in Manhattan voted overwhelmingly for Joe Biden. When you're picking a jury pool, how can anybody with a straight face say that you do not have any understanding or have not heard of the charges being brought against Donald Trump and they can be an unbiased view of the trial? I'm sure the defense attorneys will remind all potential jurors they are under oath and then begin questioning them whether they have any feelings, strong or otherwise, about Donald Trump. If you hear a juror tell you that he's neutral, you'll have a high degree of question about whether they're being truthful. I suspect the defense would ask for a change of venue. Their first move would probably be to ask the trial to move to Staten Island, another borough in the city of New York. Of course, Mr. Bragg would oppose such a move because Staten Island did not vote overwhelmingly for Joe Biden. In fact, Trump got 110,000 votes to Biden 68,000 in Staten Island. Compare that to Manhattan, where Biden got 2.3 million votes to Trump 691,000. That's 76 to 23% margin. I would suggest moving to it's Ontario County in New York, where both candidates got 48% of the vote. I don't think that's going to happen, but at least a jury pool would be more neutral. The outcome of this indictment has served to rally Trump's base of supporters, and it's reported that he raised over 5 million contributions since the indictment was announced. And this is not money from big donors. This is small donations from a lot of individuals, and that says they're committed to Trump. Now, I believe that any prosecution of a former president should involve a serious offense. The evidence should also be solid enough that a reasonable voter would find it persuasive. The last thing a politically polarized American needs is a case in which partisans line up on either side. The prosecution must be seen by most of the country as an example of fair-minded justice. I also suspect that Democrats realize this will energize the base, and perhaps they want this to happen. They believe that while Trump is a strong candidate for the Republican nomination, he would be the easiest opponent for a weak Joe Biden to defeat. They should be careful about what they're wishing for. The danger for America is the precedent this prosecution sets. Mr. Bragg is busting a political norm that has stood for 230 years. Once a former president and current candidate is indicted, some local Republican prosecutor will look to make a name for himself by doing the same to a Democrat. And there are multiple rumors of possible criminal activity by the Biden family, including the president. Would charges follow him leaving the office? U.S. democracy will be further abused and battered. Mr. Bragg, the provincial progressive, is unleashing forces that all of us may want to come and want to regret. It's been two my liberal friends. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and recommend your friends.